Hello and welcome to another episode of The Long Finish. I am your host, Tug Coker, and I'm here as always with my wife and co-host, Catherine Weil Coker. How are you doing tonight, Catherine? Great. Happy to be here. How are you? Really good. Really good. Nice to see you on our weeknight date. It is nice to see you. It's uh, episode 118 of The Long Finish. We're geeking out tonight for the podcast. Catherine, I know, was talking about an episode that she wanted to do because she'd been talking about this at some of some work-related stuff. Yes. I And frankly, I've just been wanting to drink this wine with you and share the story for since I tasted it. What about a reason than to open over a podcast? It's perfect. That's right. let, let me just announce this, Catherine. This is episode 118. 118. Of The Long Finish. Taping this on Tuesday night. And let's get into this topic, Catherine. Let's just go right into it. And talk, what, are we, what are you talking to us about tonight? Well, the wine we're drinking tonight is North American Press, The Rebel, and it's Sonoma Coast, 100% Baco Noir. That's the grape variety from California, and this is Vintage 2021. Baco Noir. Baco Noir. And that is a hybrid grape variety, and that's what we're going to be talking about tonight which is the future of wine. Maybe. I think. That's the question. A lot of people are talking about it. That's and the I question think you're asking, right? Be. Yes. But number one, this is a delicious wine in our glasses right now. And if I told you it was, hmm, what would you guess if you didn't just hear me say Baco Noir? Uh, Merlot. I could see uh, this that. This is what I think. I, I felt sort of blue fruit to me. Kind of plummy. Yeah soft there's not a lot of tannin maybe even less than merlot matt nice is the winemaker of this wine fantastic human who i got to meet a few months back he likens it to zinfandel because it does have those dark flavors it's really like dark color in the glass too and not a lot of tannin. But as I was reading about this hybrid, a lot of people, when it's grown in different places, liken it to Pinot Noir because it ends up being a little lighter in the glass. So I'm not sure. But I, I, I like this. It's like a Rorschach test. Like it's whatever the, you see it yeah. to be. I like the Merlot call. I like the Zinfandel call. Particularly tonight. I mean, we just opened it, but it felt like there was a lot of like... I think it's that low tannin thing that I think of with somehow with, with Merlot. Not that we drink a lot of Merlot, but somehow it just struck me as that. There's a softness to a that. Softness. There's more acid, though, than I think of with Merlot. Like, this this has a lot of acidity. It's got great structure without having a lot of tannin. Hybrid. I want to hear more about that. Lots to learn about. Get to that in a moment. But first, there's some hybrids to talk about. In our life, that's our kids. They're hybrids. That's have correct. you have me. That's correct, Catherine. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. That's that's a segue for the ages right there. Um, this is the first <laughs> week, Catherine, where you and I are really doing it. Last week, we dipped our toes in for a couple hours with all three kids being out of the house. This is the first day. I would say successful for us, maybe not the kids so much. I know. <laughs> well, the two older kids, great. They're in they're their in a, routine. They're in a groove now. The little guy, he looked like he was really recovering when I saw him and I picked him up today. When the teacher said, the honeymoon is over. The school honeymoon of this being fun is over. Today he has realized, like, this is here to stay. 
And I think he's not thrilled about it. And it's only like 14 more years to go. I know. 16 more years. Actually, it's two. A lot, lot more years left. It's School is fun, but the idea that you think, oh, it's every day for the next 16 years, if you think about it like that, it becomes overwhelming. But when you, you know, our kids a lot of times think about their friends and who they're going to see and how much fun they have interacting with other kids. And, and that was really such a big deal for both of them early in preschool. Learning to be a friend is a big thing in early school. So I think once he catches on to that, that there are other kids right now, he can only see the fact that he's not at home and he goes to the teacher for comfort. But I mean, he's crazy in love with his brothers. He wants to do everything that his brothers do. He thinks he probably is seven years old. I'm sure he does. And the fact that he wants to go to school every day, he wants to go to school with his, his brothers. And so... Well, after he came home and came out of his days today and he had his snack, then he was starting, you know, he was jumping and singing and on fire again. They both went to the library or the two little ones went to the library with me and they were absolutely crazy people that everyone was staring at us. They had the best time. I went to the library with them like a week or two ago. It's it's a challenge. Because it's a wide open library. There's no sectioned off. This particular library in Culver City is not sectioned off where there's like the kids section is it's like living on a in a studio. There's no yeah, st- no. yeah sure it's in the kids section, but it's next to everyone else. It's just one <laughs> yeah. giant. Doesn't make room. a lot of sense. No. It's great because it feels so open, but the kids' room, if the kids want to talk, everyone hears them. It's one giant You you room. just gotta go in and be like, Okay, we're gonna be here for fifteen minutes and then we're going. But the the library next to Esther's it's hard because that is the best library. The Santa Monica Public Library, the main branch, is a beautiful library. The kids' section is, it's massive, it's sectioned off, it's just, it's beautiful. It's a great place to hang out. But that's like, you know, we have to travel so far to go there yeah. after school. It's I've written multiple it. scripts in that library, had several spot. phone calls, punch-ups. It's great. I was walking to work this morning from the car, and there was a guy, and on the back of his shirt said, what are you reading now? And I was like, oh, that's kind of an interesting shirt. And I turned, like I turned to try and get the front of the shirt, and it was from the New York Public Library. And the guy looked at me like it was weird that I was staring at him. I was like, I like your shirt. And he had buds in. I was like, I like your shirt. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, lady. man. Oh, I didn't like that. I mean, it was... It, it had a like provocative question on it. This is our spinoff show. Is this reviewing library uh, experiences <laughs> around the country? So if you have a great library story, you know, hit us up then uh, Instagram. Us, the long finish. Let us, ex- we'll let us go with it. you on your journey. A couple things. Well, quickly, we want to note before we get into this because I know it's a geeky thing. But you did do another book club. Speaking of books, the libraries. You had a, a book club this week. I Catherine know. can't get enough books. She's joined a book club, another book club now, in addition to the one at Esther's. This is a mom's book club. Yeah. How'd it go? Was it fun? Really fun. Low key, I would say we spoke about the book maybe 30% of the time we were there, which, you know, every book club's different. Lots of them are like that. And it was like not a lot of pressure to have read the book. So it was fine. I could have talked a lot more about the book and I tried to hold back, not wanting to seem like they just invited me and I'm going to like just rail But guys, wait, wait. I want to talk more about the book. (laughs) I know. I didn't want to. Put the Prosecco down. I didn't want to be that person. So... 
I wasn't, but I was so thrilled to be invited and meet other moms in this community. It was really fun. The third offshoot podcast is Long Finish, a library review podcast. And then the sort of like bonus version of your mom's book club where you actually get to finally express your thoughts on the book because you couldn't talk about it during the book club. It would just be like my final thoughts. Yeah. You should say that at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the mom's book club. You say, if you guys really want to hear what I have to say, follow my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I talk for thirty five yeah. more minutes yeah. about this book exactly without talking to any of you <laughs> exactly. Let me just say what I think. I think that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's the future. Actually, of book clubs, no one talks about it. You say if you want to hear my thoughts, go to my podcast, uh, and everyone just puts in earbuds and just sits in the same room and drinks wine. Anyway, that's the future. <laughs> the future's here for books. The future's here for wine. Excited to hear more about hybrids, Catherine. I know this is a little bit of a geeky topic, but it's something that you're interested in as you think about how the, the, the future of wine is going to look. So can we remind everyone about the wine that we're drinking tonight and talk about why you wanted to discuss this on the podcast? Yes, tonight. we're drinking North American Press, The Rebel, Sonoma Coast, 100% Baco Noir, California, 2021. I really wanted to talk about this topic for some time because I'm curious about it. And I think this is the way forward. And I loved meeting Matt Nice, the winemaker of this wine. And I also wanted to talk about it tonight because last week I was invited to do this panel for a magazine called Edible LA. This was a panel in Hollywood to talk about the future of food. And most of the other panelists were focused on food. I was the representative of wine. And of course, I in the pre-interview, I had talked about hybrids being the future of wine. And then the question never came up. The moment didn't arise. And I came home and I thought, well, that was fun. And then I didn't say like the big thing I wanted to say. It's exactly what's happening with the book club podcast. Podcast. <laughs> you didn't get to say what you wanted to say, so you're doing it on the long finish now, tonight. Let me tell you what I really think. Incredible. But I do think hybrids are the future because, first of all, let's just look at our world, right? We are in the moment of climate change. We have different weather than we've ever had. We have wildflower wildflowers. We have wildfires. We have temperatures rising. We have rainfall at weird times. We have frost. We have hotter temperatures than ever before. So we're facing a lot of new challenges. And there is a way forward in terms of, you know, how we farm the vineyards and what we do to train the vines. But there's also a big factor in what is being planted. What grapes are we planting? And for years and years and years, most of the grapes that you've ever had in your glass, and most people, are one species called Vitis vinifera. And that is the European species of grapevine. You know, the Europeans brought it over when they came over here. They were like, we know how to make wine. And we all got stuck on these varietals that we love. Chardonnay, Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Cabernet Franc. Almost every variety you've ever heard of, this is Vitis vinifera. But that's not what grows naturally here in North America. There are probably 20 to 30 native varieties, just native grapevines that grow in North America. And they produce fruit. It was just never deemed good enough. In addition... There's so many hybrids of Vitis vinifera, the European species, and the native species. This, for example, in this Baco Noir, being Vitis riparia. That is the native species to America. So they were crossed. This is, you know, 
in a lab or in a you know experimental vineyard crossed to create a new hybrid vine. And the idea with hybrids, a lot of them are developed with the idea of solving problems. You know, let's create a grape variety that has these vitis vinifera characteristics that we love, but also can tolerate humidity, can tolerate cold, can tolerate these different weather experiences, these different climates that we're having. That's hybrid. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And these are developed maybe in labs or at schools like UC Davis. Is that something that plays? I mean, a hundred percent UC Davis. Um, one of the first that you might remember hearing about because it's very popular in Virginia and it's kind of America's grape is Norton. And we saw that even in the total wine when we were in Virginia. Yeah. Norton is a cross of Vitis vinifera and Vitis estevilis. I'm probably saying that wrong, but it was developed in the early 1800s by Daniel Norton in Richmond, Virginia. And he had an experimental vineyard and he sort of it just sort of happened, this cross. It really became the grape of Missouri. And people thought, okay, Missouri is going to be this grape growing region. Then prohibition happened and everything changed after that. But it grows really well in Virginia and other parts of the country as well. It has that great fruitiness that people love from Vitis vinifera and it grows well. Very interesting. But you know, it's a big question. Like why why haven't people been drinking wines from hybrids or native varieties? That's the exact question I was going to ask. I think two reasons. One, I think probably a lot of early on European immigrants were like, you know what? The wine from our old country is really good wine. There's a long tradition of making wine there, you know, and, and knowing what to do. And people acquire a taste for it. It's this idea that, you know, Europe is better or these and this kind of wine is better. But there's also people say that there's like this foxiness, a thinness and a foxy character to hybrids and native varieties. Well, I don't know, maybe foxy sounds like it's a good thing, but literally it refers to fox urine, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but there's a lot of terms that we use when we talk about wine that aren't appetizing. Cat pee for Sauvignon Blanc, the barnyard. Petrol. You know, tennis ball. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of unappet manure, unappetizing words that we can use and barnyard a lot of those people actually like yep especially now with the natural wine movement people are all about like oh what's different what's different about this what's special you know so i think we're moving past that moment but the cool thing you know you see hybrids coming more into the forefront now with natural wine and people leaning into this and we've seen hybrids grown in other states across the United States forever. Like I was saying, in Missouri, in Wisconsin, they have Marquette that was developed at Marquette to resist cold. Um, when we were in Indiana years ago, Chamberson, Chamberson was a grape variety that we... Trying to add like a French pronunciation. Well, that you one... Chamberson? Well, you know what? It's it, from Indiana. Well, it, it's grown there, <laughs> but it, no, it was developed in France. Dang it. I'm sorry to oh, say, man, I'm but it, retraction. it is a black grape variety that grows well, like when no other black grape variety will grow. 
And I remember getting it in Indiana at Oliver Winery being like, huh, this is so cool because it's not, you know, this isn't driven on a truck from California. This is, this can really grow here in Indiana. That's so cool. But there's so many others. I mean, hundreds of hybrids that exist that you, you know, these vines are Vidal Blanc, Frontenac, uh, like I said, this is Baco Noir, Norton. There's tons and tons. There's actually this cool vineyard that was undiscovered or not really known about until recently called Filoli. There's actually a really cool vineyard at this historic garden site that's near Stanford, near Palo Alto. You can go visit the gardens and there's a, uh, a vineyard there where over 120 different hybrids are planted. These things are real. Let me put on my consumer hat now and ask you, why should people be drinking hybrid wines? Well, as I said, the cool thing about them is because they're developed for these different conditions, a wine like this wine tonight doesn't really need much farming. Matt says he doesn't have to spray. He doesn't have to use herbicides. He barely has to do anything in the vineyard because the vine is naturally pest resistant. Now that is cool. That is a way forward. And it's resistant to humidity. Some of these vines could be more resistant to heat. They have natural resistance. There's not as much hands-on farming that needs to happen. And we don't even have to talk about organic. We don't even have to talk about regenerative. You don't have to till because they just grow well. That's pretty cool. Where exactly in California is this wine being made? So this wine in particular, the Rebel. It is the Rebel. Absolutely. Yeah, it's something off the beaten path. This wine is from West Sonoma County. It's in the Sonoma Coast. It's really a vineyard that would was planted in the 1960s by an Italian immigrant named Domenico Caligari. Who knows why he planted this in Sonoma, but it's surrounded by redwoods and there's also meadow foam, which is like this endemic flower that's everywhere. It's sandy gold ridge loam sto- soils and the vineyard is beyond organic. Like I said, it's there. You don't have to irrigate, no herbicides, no spray, no till, very low sulfur added to the wine. Um, and this, this Italian immigrant, he decided to plant this, not sure why. He was a horticulturist. But the amazing thing is that it wasn't ripped up. It wasn't ripped up because it's surrounded by vineyards of the most high-priced Pinot Noir. Sonoma County, Sonoma Coast is Pinot Noir country. The fog, the cool air, some humidity, like this is where high-priced Pinot Noir comes from. And this little vineyard still exists. So this is kind of just a miracle. It's a miracle to be getting hybrid grapes in this really fine wine area known for Pinot Noir. It's not unusual to see hybrids around the rest of the U.S. In Sonoma, really kind of special. And Matt Nice, he came from making phenomenal 
Pinot Noir and Chardonnay. He worked for years at Radio Coteau, which is renowned as a really fine wine producer. I love Radio Coteau. He has that experience. That's where he learned. So although it's so cool that so many natural producers are getting into these hybrid vines, this man knows how to make fine wine. And he's on the hunt for vineyards like this. Now he's actually working with some vineyards in Nevada as well, where he found hybrid grapes. But he's on the hunt for vineyards like this of hybrid vines where he can show what this grape, these grapes can do. So he's got this. He's making a, a wine that's from apples and grapes from a really cool old orchard and native grapes that grow in another part of Sonoma. Um, he's making wine from that vineyard I just told you about at that really cool garden near Stanford where there are over a hundred. They make a rosé there where they use over a hundred different hybrid varieties. And he's got this project in Nevada. He left Radio Coteau because he's so passionate about hybrids, curious about what they can do, and thinks that this could be the way forward. I'm on the train. I think it's so cool. And in the hands of somebody who knows how to make beautiful wine. Now, again, putting on my consumer hat, you mentioned, obviously, Sonoma. You mentioned the wines grown on there, Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir is expensive because this is hybrid and there's less farming, ideally. Is this a, an affordable wine? It's probably half the price of what the Pinot Noirs are, are in that area. It's not inexpensive. One, because it's really well made. And he's a super small operation. He doesn't have a lot of land to work with. And this is really special. It's all very exciting. I guess the question is, how do we convince our listeners to take the leap into drinking hybrid wines? One, I think, that, first of all, this is an excellent wine. You say it's well-made, has all the pedigree that you need. The wine's delicious. I think all our listeners are the absolute people to try hybrids because the people that want to follow our show, for the most part, like want to drink along with us want to try the varietal from Switzerland, want to try the variety that they haven't heard of from Italy, want to try new things, aren't afraid of the new natural wine and are curious about it. I think right now, because of this natural wine movement, we do have, and after the pandemic, fostered so much curiosity in wine. I think this is the right time to be trying hybrids and not be judgy right away but just to see what ends up in the glass and especially following someone who just knows how to make great wine the way i look at it is this maybe wrong this is the way i'm coming at it with you know climate change being real and we're looking for ways to protect the earth do little work to you know get things from the earth this makes a lot of sense Tariffs getting higher, buying stuff internationally, looking domestic is the way to go. Looking local is the way to go. And hopefully, like you said, all those things means more affordability for wines. So I do think that. And ultimately, it's, a, it's also a question of, you mentioned this a little bit, but of less labor. If you don't have to have your hands spraying, you know, spraying spraying against pests or doing like meticulous farming basically with scissors to deal with all the things you got going on in the vineyard to have the best farm vineyard if your vine naturally can do that on its own 
maybe you can sit in the shade and read a book and have a good life and still make organic wine that tastes pretty good and give it, you know, and sell it for a decent price. Yeah, very good in this instance. You know, that sounds good. There, There's a cool woman named Erin Rasmussen who's in Wisconsin, actually. She has a project called American Wine Project. Wisconsin, great place to move for climate change because not a threat of worrying about water and there aren't wildfires there, but you got to make wine, you know? It's different, though. If you are making wine with hybrids, you probably can't have the same goals of a winemaker in Napa or a winemaker, you know, making bulk wine. You have to have more modest goals. Money-wise, I'm talking. How much production comes out of this? So small. 45 cases. Wow. Um, That's what I'm telling you. So this is like super allocated? Well... It's not so allocated because currently no one is beating down the doors to get hybrids from Sonoma, Pinot Noir country. Yeah. But, but it's will. special. Yeah. And Matt is, he is a really forward thinker. He's he's taken a leap. He's doing something special. I also mentioned he's a really cool guy and he has three kids. You did kids. mention that. You he did. taking yeah. his kids out in the vineyard. Yeah, no, this has been a Matt Appreciation <laughs> podcast. You definitely did that. Well, let's go into this specific wine. How many, do we have a case at Esther's? How much wine do we have at Esther's? Yeah, we have wine to sell. So we have wine to sell, so come get it. So what is a good food pairing for this wine? Well, I'm still in the Zinfandel world thinking that would be so great. I it's think got a great nose, this, this great bottle of wine. Great nose, not a lot of tannin. It'd be great with anything with spice. I was thinking of... I think my parents would actually like this wine. I do too. Yeah. Like Moroccan spice, chickpea, tagine, or even like za'atar rub chicken. It would also be great with just a hamburger with blue cheese. That sounds awesome. And caramelized onions. Meatballs. I feel like just with like maybe a little barbecue sauce on them or something. So you get this wine at Esther's. Is there other ways to grab this wine? Maybe direct? Direct. You can go to the website. Website is northamericanpress.wine. Now, if you're at a local wine store, you talk about, you know, this. these are opportunities for people who don't live in near big cities like Wisconsin, mentioned Virginia. How can people go in and ask these local wine shops if they have a hybrid wine that maybe is grown um, in an area near them? What's, what's local? What's local is a great question. And we asked that very question at Total Wine and we got pointed at some interesting bottles of Norton. You can definitely do that in all kinds of places. Local, what is most local? There's wines in Colorado, there's wines in Texas, there's wines in so so many different states. Vermont. Maybe that's a goal for a podcast for next year is doing like a tour of the states. That wine. would be incredible and I, I would love to do that. There's fantastic wine in lots of different places and okay wine in a lot of places that i don't know matt you could go over there and show them how to do it <laughs> it's our fourth podcast for this channel we're gonna do the long finish we're gonna do podcast about Catherine's book reviews that she didn't get to say at the book club there's a third podcast that i didn't i forgot and then there's now 50 states of wine oh, I, podcast. Like, I like 50 states maybe of we do wine. a patreon maybe we get a patreon going and we just talk about wines from each state there's too many ideas but this wine is this wine's really good it is delicious, yeah, I think, and I, I think, do I think, think your parents would like it. I think it. like the hybrid thing could be scary. I mean, there's a way to like sort of 
market the idea so it doesn't feel like it's um, Frankenstein somehow. That's just me talking off the cuff because this, everything you're saying, I think our listeners definitely agree with, but most of the country should be agreeing with as well. Well, I think the more that we get away from putting varietals on labels, which they've been doing... They haven't been putting varietals on labels in many regions of Europe for years. But the more we can get away from doing that and say, eh, this is a red from Sonoma and talk about the qualities of the wine and not necessarily obsess about what varietal it is, the more we can get into hybrids because we're not obsessed with the naming of the varietal. Blends. Blends are always good answers. All right, let's get to the last portion of the evening, which is what has been inspiring us this week. Joint inspiration? Oh, yeah, let's do it. This Saturday, my parents were in town for a few days, got to see their grandkids. I've been circling this date. I've tried for 10 years to make this happen. I wanted to see the Hollywood Bowl present The Sound of Music. It's a screening of The Sound of Music sing-along where they put the words on the screen, a big screen at the front of the Hollywood Bowl, and everyone sings along with it. And I got to tell you, folks, if you haven't been, I'm sure some of you have been. If you haven't been, this is a bucket list opportunity. This is an amazing, one of the greatest things, not only I've done in LA, but maybe in my life. Honestly, it was so much fun. This happens to be a movie that I probably watched more than any other movie in my life. It's my mom's favorite movie. Whenever we would have a road trip, we used to have a, a van with a TV in it, a VCR, and my sisters, my two sisters and I, we would watch movies, and I would always be outnumbered. I talked about it last week, but Sound of Music was always a movie that we watched on our trips, often to Michigan, from Virginia to Michigan. I know every word of this musical, everyone else there did too. It was my parents' first trip to the Hollywood Bowl. I got great seats, and we watched the movie, and it was so much fun. I haven't seen the movie probably, in, I don't know, 15 years, 20 years. It was great to revisit the movie. It was great to see the movie with 17,000 other people. Sound of Music came out at a time where I was watching it over VHS. So you watch it in your room with one, by yourself with two other people. And then you realize, oh my gosh, everyone else loves this movie too. And everyone's saying, they're yelling at the screen. They're, there's laser pointers at the, bat, at the villains. They're chanting things. It's, it's just an amazing communal. People brought cowbells. People dressed up. People dressed up as brown paper back packages. They dressed up as marionettes. Friedrich's teeth for some Nuns. reason. Nuns. It's incredible all-out experience. Can't recommend it high, more highly. And I think shout out to you know Robert Wise who directed it, Julie Andrews, Christopher Plummer, all the actors, Rodgers and Hammerstein, Hammerstein. Just making something that is so iconic that will live forever. And I wish they were all. I mean, Julie Andrews is still alive. I wish they would all come to the Hollywood Bowl and see the warmth and the love they have for something that they were a part of and something that they created. It's so cool. That's you know, that's why people go out and try to make stuff for that experience, and they did it. So just it, truly an unbelievable moment. It was. It was such a community experience and so fun. Just so fun. But I really love sitting next to you and hearing you sing all those songs and look over and also see those you know, tears in your eyes because you were feeling it. I was, I was emotional. I, I don't know if I was, you know, just emotional because I was like being with my mom, being with my dad, which was special, but also just to be around people that cared about, you know, I, I have the same feeling when I'm at the Writers Guild strikes or SAG strikes where I'm like, we're all in this together. And it's hard to find as you get older, find things that we're all, you know, sports is one way to do it. But like 
this feels bigger Something than that. Deeper. Yeah, like we're all in this. This all affected us in some way, and it, it just don't have those experiences that often. So anyway, just really, really, really amazing night. And I was riding a high that whole the whole rest of it. I couldn't really sleep. I was like, that's I can't believe that experience. And maybe next year I can get my sisters to come out and and do that with us again. That'd anyway, be so fun. Huge inspiration. That was really really fun. And I'm glad you got to go with me. I am so glad. Yeah. All right, that's it. That's it for episode 118 of The Long Finish. Episode 118 is in the books. Keep chugging along here. Putting out episodes every week. Stay tuned for all those side podcasts yes. coming soon. Yep, got a whole new, like, you know, a, a network of podcasts. Oh, yeah. Should have uh, more of The Long Finish coming up soon. Catherine, where can they find you and The Long Finish on social media? I'm at Catherine Wild Coker on Instagram, and The Long Finish is at The Long Finish. You can see all the episodes, names, and bottles. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tug Coker. You have a chance to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. That would mean a lot to us. Let amplify this signal. Let people know we're out there. Appreciate that. We'll be back soon with a new episode. Stay tuned. Until then, have a great week. Be happy, be healthy, and happy drinking. Ciao.